Well, I have a question for you. Um, how do others see you? How do others see you? Now, I'm not talking about, you say, don't answer the dad answer, right? Like, with your eyes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how do you, how, how do others see you in regards to your appearance or um, what you do or what maybe you, um, you post? I mean, do people make uh, judgments about you based on your profession or the fact that you're a student or the fact that um, you, uh, you play sports or you don't play sports. Maybe some of you are, are being judged by others based on your social media or how you dress. Um, I'm guessing that that's just one slice of the, the totality of who you are. Most people don't get to see fully the real you, right? Uh, for example... When our daughter was in grade one, she was really struggling to read. And uh, she had some undiagnosed uh, learning disabilities. And as you know, whenever you have a weakness, there's also a strength. And one of Jessie's great strengths is she doesn't miss anything. You can never pull over anything on her. Like she, she notices, she might notice everybody coming in here and what you wore and what, what's going on. She, she captures everything in her brain. And so one day she was in class and the teacher had lit a Bunsen burner. And I don't know whether the teacher just had to walk away to help another student ever. But all of a sudden, the parchment paper underneath the Bunsen burner caught fire. And Jesse got up and I think the teacher reprimanded her for saying, Jesse, sit back in your seat. And Jesse's like, there's a fire. And so just, uh, just so happened coming on by was a custodian, yay custodians, Linda, uh, rescued and put that fire out. And the teacher was so thankful for Jesse. And she was doubly thankful because the fire, the fire truck ended up coming and there was this really hunky fireman that came and she was a single teacher. And so she was, she was doubly thankful that uh, the fireman came. Well, as Jesse uh, progressed um, throughout that year, we came to the end of the year, and a special education teacher came to us and said, you know what, uh, Jesse, she probably will never be able to read past a grocery list. And that's pretty hard to hear when your kid's in grade one, right? For us, that was just un unacceptable. I don't know how others see you. Maybe they just see a, a, a slice of you and they're making judgments about you. But it does affect our lives, doesn't it? How others see us. What's even more important, this greater question is, how does God see you? How does God see you? Others may judge you based on your dress, your, uh, your um your schedule, your thing that you give your time to, and your actions probably are determined a lot by how others see you. And in fact, there's some people that their, their opinion matters more than others, right? Like my family's opinion matters more than other people out there. And if my mom or my family... Um, told me something, hey, John, this is something wrong in your life. I'm going to pay attention to that more, and probably you too as well. 
But I got to tell you, the person that I need to, and you and I need to be most concerned about, is what God thinks about us, how God sees us. And once you come to this conclusion, and I especially want to speak to the young people out here today and those listening, how God thinks about you will determine your schedule, your dress, your actions in far greater ways. You'll start to think, you know what? I'm going to put God first with my small group or my my church attendance than non-essential activities. I will make priority the fact that I will, will, with my speech, I will proclaim Jesus Christ. I will not be ashamed of him. I will... I will take the money that God has given me and I will make sure that I will give to God first and best. These are some of the actions that occur when we put God first. And so what I would encourage you to do right now is turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles if you have your smartphone to Zechariah chapter 3 and we're going to learn how God gives us a vision and what he sees about us. And we've been going through the book of Zechariah because the, the book of Zechariah is eight hopeful visions in dark times. And we've had dark times. And we really need to know what God thinks and sees in our lives. So if you have found Zechariah chapter 3, and those at home, if you're with your family, uh, you can pause and, and, just, and just read this yourselves. But I'm going to ask the people here to stand out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're going to read chapter 3, and Pastor Kyle touched on chapter 4. We're going, to, we're going to go deeper in that next week on Thanksgiving, Lord willing. And so Zechariah chapter 3, um, starting in verse 1. Then he, that's an angel, showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone I have set before Joshua on a single stone with seven eyes. Seven eyes mean perfect, that he sees everything. And we're going to pick this up in chapter 4, the other vision. I will engrave its description, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. What prosperity occurs. And there'll be prosperity if we listen and obey God's word. You may be seated. 
the first phrase in Zechariah chapter 3 reveals Joshua the high priest. Joshua the high priest. And Joshua the high priest is before the angel. Now, I don't want you to confuse Joshua the high priest with Joshua Israel's general. That's a different Joshua. He came many hundreds of years before. And he wrote the book of Joshua. Now this is Joshua the high priest. And he's mentioned in, um, in Ezra chapter 3. He's measured, uh, mentioned again in Ezra chapter 5 verses 1 and 2. And he's also mentioned in the first chapter of the book of Haggai. So Joshua the high priest. This, like, this dude's known. He's pretty famous uh, in the land of Israel at the time. He would be equivalent of your favorite preacher or, or favorite uh, religious person because of this fact. All the hopes of the nation rested on Joshua because once a year he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would make sacrifice. He would make atonement on the day of atonement for all of the sins of the whole nation. And what he would do is he would walk into the Holy of Holies, which was equivalent of the divine and heavenly courtroom. And so this is the vision that, that Zechariah is having. He is essentially having a picture of what was happening in the Holy of Holies. No one else got to go in there. But Zechariah gets this picture of what's happening with Joshua. And so what do we find? Now, before we, we jump into that, we need to find out what did the priest have to do in order to prepare for that day. And the list is exhaustive. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Leviticus chapter 21 and 22. Leviticus is the third book in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 21 and 22. And, and maybe in your small groups this week or your family, you can, you can look at this a little closer. I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'm just going to hit some of the highlights. Um, and I actually think when you read this, you're going to be able to say, boy, I can identify a lot more with the priest now in these COVID days than I could before, before COVID hit. So here were some of the restrictions and things that the, the priest had to do. We find in verses 2 through 4, I'll actually start in verse 1, No one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother, or his virgin sister who is near to him because she has had no husband, for he, for her he may make himself unclean. So the priest couldn't go to the funerals of his friends, only close relatives. And if they became the high priest, they couldn't even go to the funeral if, if the high priest's parents died. Now, think about us today. I, uh, I was conducting a funeral for Maureen Harlock yesterday, or the beloved wife of our dear brother, um, Dennis. And the max that we could have at that funeral was 40 people. And, I mean, and that's a lot. Like, I, I'm looking at some of you who've had lost loved ones, and you couldn't even have that many. I remember walking through that with you, Laura. It was hard, wasn't it? The priest couldn't go to these funerals. So we can relate to them. Look at verses 5 and 6. They shall, make, mean, they shall not make uh, 
bald patches on their heads, nor shave off the edges of their beards, nor make any cuts on their bodies. So here's another thing the priest couldn't do. No shaving. Again, many of us can relate to that. I'm not going to even ask you the question if you shaved for those six months during the pandemic, right? I'll keep going. Verses 5 and 6. And by the way, you, this, doesn't this also help you explain where the Orthodox Jews, they don't really cut their beards, right? So now you can see why, where that comes from. Look at verses 5 and 6. Um, we read that there was no remarriage. It says, uh, verse 7, They shall not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled, ne- neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. If you look down at verse 13, it says, And he shall take a wife in her virginity. So there was no remarriages. That's what priest had to do. That was one of the requirements. Verses 10 and 12, we find that his clothes and his hair would always be tidy, like no baggy pants, right? No sweats. I mean, that would have been hard. I'm not going to ask you how many kept the same clothes on day after day after day during pandemic, right? But the priest had to, to look well as he served. Verse 10 it says that he had to be, his, his, his head had to be anointed with oil. That makes me think of back in the 50s. Now, there's none of you probably that can remember the 50s, but the 50s, right, they, they slicked their hair back. There was a show a while back called Happy Days with Fonzie, and he always had his hair, his hair slicked back. And again, I saw some pictures during COVID of people having a lot of extra product in their hair to, to manage when they couldn't get haircuts, right? Verse 12, couldn't leave the sanctuary. It says, He shall not go to the sanctuary lest he profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing of oil of his God is on him, and I am the Lord. The priest was limited in his travel. We are limited in our travel. Then in verses 16 through 23, there's, there's a lot of descriptions about how the priest had to avoid injuries or diseases or defects or deformities, and those all disqualified him. Anybody here not been able to go to worship with the gathering of God's people because you weren't able to answer all the requirements of a COVID screening questions? I have. You know, maybe you had a family member, somebody you knew that was, was sick. Again, do you see how we can actually, the Bible is alive and we can we can relate to some of these things that maybe we couldn't have before. Now jump to chapter 22, verse 5. Here's another thing that stood out to me. In verse 5, And whoever touches a swarming thing by which he may be made unclean or a person from whom he may take uncleanness, whatever his uncleanness may be. So a swarming thing. So, you know, bugs landing on you. All of a sudden you've been trying to keep yourself so pure and, and there's something, some bug or something crawls on you and... You know, you're, you're unclean. Our staff were on retreat this week on Monday, and, and there was these bugs that came by, and there was, they were really cool, and there was a walking stick, one of those walking sticks. I mean, but if that walking stick touched you, oh, no, can't go. And then another thing in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 22, 
The person who touches such a thing shall be unclean until the evening shall not eat of the holy things unless he has bathed his body in water. So before eating the sacred food, he always had to take a bath and became clean only after the sun went down, which maybe explains why, Mom, and maybe you, I always had to take a bath on Sunday nights, right, before church. I had to clean myself up. And, and all these requirements, all this effort to, to stay clean was not just for the fun of it. It was a sacrifice so that the priest could make a sacrifice on behalf of others. Now, that's just for the priest. The high priest had to do way much more. Um, according to Ray Dillard, Old Testament professor at Westminster Seminary, he said this. I'll quote it. There was an enormous amount of preparation that took place for the Day of Atonement. A week beforehand, the priest was put into seclusion, taken away from his home, and into a place when he was completely alone. Wow, doesn't that sound familiar? Why? So he wouldn't touch or eat anything unclean. Clean food was brought to him, and he'd wash his body and prepare his heart. The night before the Day of Atonement, he didn't go to bed, but he stayed up all night praying and reading the scriptures, reading God's word. My friends, I understand what it's like to, to be in quarantine after traveling to the U.S. and coming back and for 14 days and some in our congregation just dropped off food at our house. Thank you so much. The priest had to do something similar. Now, if we jump back to Leviticus 16, we find specific illustrations and, and instructions about the Day of Atonement. Verse 4, the high priest, he had to take a special bath. And then he had to put on a sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments. And then he had to make atonement for his family. So he took a bull and a ram. And, and it wasn't just for his, the whole nation. He had, to, he had to bring atonement for himself and for his family. Now, if you've ever butchered an animal, it's a very messy, gory thing. And so there's blood everywhere. So the next thing we read about is that he had to take another bath which makes sense. I've had to clean animals, and I know what that's like. You, you get blood everywhere. And then the high priest would take one of two goats. There was two goats, and one of the goats was the scapegoat, and that was actually, that was set free. And then the other goat was sacrificed. It was killed. And so the priest would take the blood from the goat, and he'd sprinkle it on the altar, and he starts to make sacrifice and atonement for the sins of the nation. All this was done with just a little screen of privacy as he'd take these baths and, and, and no one would be trying to look on his nakedness and felt, they felt the shame of the sin that they had done and someone else was their substitute for that one day of a year, the Day of Atonement. The people of Israel would have cheered him on. Except when we look back in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1, turn back there. With all this that had to go on in the background, there's someone who's not cheering him on. And that's Satan. Satan is not cheering Joshua on. In fact, Satan, whose name literally means the adversary, was standing there to accuse him. 
And this is one of the main roles of Satan. One of the things that he does constantly. In fact, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, he's called the accuser of the brethren. He is accusing all of us who believe in Jesus of all of our sins. Now you say, well, does Satan's opinion matter? Well, I'm guessing in your life that you've heard his voice. You've heard him say things, whisper in your, your mind, in your ear, things like, you're worthless. Why don't you just go kill yourself? You know what you did. God's not pleased with you. God can't use you. Anybody hear any of those types of voices ever heard that type of thing? I love what happens next. The Lord didn't dismiss the charges, did he? Look at verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? In other words, yeah, this, this man Joshua could be destroyed, but I'm plucking him from the fire. I'm rebuking you. It's the Lord who is rebuking Satan. See, really, the reality is the charges stick. We have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We need somebody to defend us from these charges and from our accuser. And there's only one person who can do that. And I have good news for you today. It's the Lord himself. Satan's real battle is not against us. It's against God. And God will come to us as our defender. And this leads us, though, to the greatest surprise in the whole vision. You just think, okay, this, it's done after verse 2. But look what happens in verse 3. And you wouldn't have understood this unless I explained all that background. What is the state of Joshua. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. Literally, there's excrement. He's covered in filth. How did this happen when Joshua would take great, extreme measures, every precaution to live purely? How does this happen? Here's the truth. Listen up. No matter how hard you and I try to keep ourselves clean, we can't. Because sin gets on us because sin oozes out of us. Our hearts are desperately wicked. And they lead us to sin. Think about that. Some of you think God sees you as clean because you've trying to keep yourself, you've been trying to clean yourself up. You've been attempting to keep all the rules and living a good life. However, your motivation is to keep the rules so that you can show that you've made yourself clean. Now, on the other hand, some of you know how hard it is to try to keep up with appearances. When in reality, there's some really dark stuff going on in your life. And you 
you dragged yourself in here and you feel such shame and you do feel like Joshua. You feel the filth on you. Something you watched, something you did, something you said this week. You're like, John, I tried, but I'm not, I'm not making it. Well, I want to tell you today, whether you've been trying to clean yourself up by your good works, which are filthy rags, or whether you feel such shame, the Lord God wants to give you new clothes. He wants to transform you today. He wants to remove those dirty clothes, whether you've got them from rolling around in the mud that this world has to offer, or the filth that's caused by your sinful heart. Instead of the, the dirt, the Lord wants to give you rich garments. Rich garments. It's awesome. These rich garments are garments of righteousness that the Lord alone can give us. And this will give us great hope. And not only that, we'll get a new set of clothes, but we'll get a new assignment. Because Joshua, as I read, doesn't he get a new job? He gets to actually serve in the courts, in the royal courtroom. So the question for some of us is, if this is what God's doing in Joshua's life, and he's also doing this for us through Jesus Christ, why would we want to go back to the filth? There's an, even a promise in verse 8 and at the end of the chapter that there's going to be great prosperity. Look what it says at the very end. In that day, in verse 10, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you who invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Do you want to know how God sees you? If you want to know that today, then I must introduce you to another Joshua. Except you might know my different name, Yeshua, or Jesus. You see, the word Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah saves. And when people called out to Jesus, especially in Hebrew, they would have been saying Jehovah is salvation. This reiterates that Jesus is Jehovah. And if you were talking to any Jehovah's Witnesses, you need to say, do you realize that Jesus' name actually means Jehovah is salvation? Ray Dillard, describing this Joshua of the New Testament, says it this way, this Joshua staged another day of atonement. Of course, this Joshua, like all high priests, had a lifelong job of keeping himself pure. He too was bathed, which... For Jesus was at his baptism. Remember when he says, I, when he said to, to, to his cousin John the Baptist, this is to fulfill all righteousness. Doesn't that make more sense now? And one week, think about this, one week beforehand, Jesus began to prepare for his death. And the night before his death, he didn't go to sleep, but he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the next day, the day of his death, he was undressed in front of the people. However, there are some differences between the Joshua of Zechariah 3 and the true Joshua, the ultimate Joshua at the day of atonement that finally secured for us once and for all the forgiveness of sins and fulfills 
Zechariah 3.9. Did you catch that? The sin of this land in one day. That was at the cross. This Joshua, Jesus, did not need to make a sacrifice for his personal sin. Unlike other, other priests, notice that there was no ram, there was no bull, there was no goat sacrificed. There was only a lamb. Because Jesus himself was that lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And instead of the people cheering this Joshua, they jeered him. They yelled, crucified. He was clothed in rich garments only for a moment as they mocked him and put that, that robe on him. In fact, the garment that he did have, they stripped him of it and he was, he was nailed naked on a cross and he was bathed too in human spit for you and for me. Only this Joshua can save us because salvation is not just an act, it's a person. Only he can save us and cleanse us from our stains in our lives that we've been so trying, careful to, to avoid being stained by. And only he can keep us from being separated from God because he was separated from God on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the quarantine on our behalf. Do you believe this today? Only this Joshua can reveal who we really are called to be, someone who can truly serve our neighbor. At the beginning of the sermon, I asked you, how do others see you? You reminded the times that you've been misjudged. And maybe you've even misjudged yourself. See, the only way to get an accurate assessment of who you really are is to see it through God's eyes, how God sees you. We need to know that God sees us and the only way to find that out is to enter into the divine courtroom. Do you see yourself there? Do you see yourself standing before God? And maybe right now you see yourself soiled by garments, by your sins. You're very aware of your sin. Your, your garments get stained daily and you're ashamed. And maybe you can even picture Satan accusing you like a prosecuting attorney? Do you see, though, Jesus walking over to you? Picture this. And taking off the soiled garments and clothing you with garments of righteousness. The righteousness as promised by the branch, the branch of David that he purchased in one day let that thought wash over you. It's God's word that will cleanse you today. Maybe it's not easy for you to see yourself and say, well, you know, I, I've, I've actually think I'm pretty vigilant. I've been doing this pretty good job. Uh, John, I've been, I've been going to church. I've been trying to live a good life. I, I watch what I eat, what I drink. I don't spend, I watch, don't spend time with people who are really corrupt. I'm devoted to prayer and I serve the Lord faithfully. I just want to say to you, so did Joshua in Zechariah 3. You too need the Lord Jesus. My friends, in the words of the hymn writer James Proctor, he said this, cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, stand in him alone, gloriously complete. 
Think about the cross every day and what Jesus has done for you and for me. And then grace will change your life because you realize it was only through Jesus. Have you ever spilt anything on your shirt? I am notorious for this. In fact, I came home from the funeral yesterday and I had grabbed a pizza and um, I was really hungry and I had my white shirt on, my dress shirt. And Lori's like, do you want to live out your sermon again? <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've spilled food on my shirt and then I put it in the laundry and it goes through the laundry. What happens? The stain sets. Am I the only one who's ever had this happen? <laughs> I needed somebody else to help get that stain out. And the good news is that Jesus is the great stain remover for our lives. Only he can do it. You and I have stained our lives with sin. And the new Joshua can change us. Will you let him? What others say about you may be only partially true. It may be incorrect. But what God says about you is always true. Remember the story I told you about my daughter, Jessie? Well, fast forward many years, and she graduated from high school. It was a year, a year and a half ago. And she graduated with honors. And through much hard work and tutors like Joel Lundy and other people who helped her, especially my wife, She's able to read. And now I drop her off every day to become a hairstylist so that she can become that hairstylist and share the gospel with others and serve them. And she's even getting straight A's to do it. What does God say about you? God's opinion matters most. Only God's word is final about you. So, how does God see you? How does God see you? Let's pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus, the true Joshua who came and um, took away all of our sins. Thank you for taking away my sins. We've been so encouraged today from this division of Pastor Jason and the testimony from Daryl and what God's doing in the Brush family, just being able to worship you, and then hearing about the fact that though, though Satan accuses, and yes, we have sinned, Jesus, you're doing something about that. You're trading our filthy rags for royal robes. And Lord, we look forward to that day when we get to wear them in your manifest presence. And we pray in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen and amen.